Hello and welcome back to Movies on My Mind. I'm Rosie and I'm back again. Sorry, it's it's been a while. Um, I've just really <laughs> struggled to find time to actually record episodes. My life is crazily busy. This was a requested episode. Okay, I feel really far away from the microphone. Anyway, this episode is about Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which came out in 2016. And yes, it's directed by Tim Burton. Is that becoming a theme? Yes. Um, is that a bad thing? No. This is, was a total coincidence that this film is also directed by Tim Burton and so is a lot of the other films I've done as well. It's, it's all right. Now, this film, I had seen it before, so that's why I kind of agreed to it because I think, to be fair, if anyone requests anything, I'm probably going to do it. I had seen this film before. I think I've seen it now in total about three times on various occasions. I think I... I did watch it when it came out in 2016 or some time around when it came out. Yeah, it's quite a random film, I would say. It's a little bit random. Based on the book, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which I had heard of and it was kind of hyped um, a few years ago. I don't really know what era that was, but it was pretty hyped around that time around 2016, 2017. Uh, I've not read the book. However, I've kind of done a bit of research around it. So I will talk about the book. I'm coming to this film from, from the perspective of somebody who's watched a film. Like, I'm not gonna go into crazy detail about the book because I have, I think there's like three books. This film is just one film. I don't think it references everything and I believe the fans were a little bit annoyed about this adaptation because things that happened in the books weren't referenced in the film. However, another thing I'm going to say about that, playing devil's advocate, is we've seen this before. I've done Tim Burton films. He does a lot of films and he adapts different stories and then turns them into his own thing. He loves to kind of mess around with a well-known story. So I think that the fact that this film is completely different to the book is not surprising to me at all. I think as soon as you see the name Tim Burton with a book that's already written, you can probably work out it's not going to be an exact retelling and things will be missed out. I do think that this film, for me, does stand alone and it stands well on its own. However, a lot of people don't like the plot as well. That was another thing people were like going crazy over. Um, I liked the plot, but I'll tell you why I like the plot because I don't think it's necessarily the reason why other people would talk about the plot, if that makes sense. Like the reason why I like it is not necessarily because it's really good. It's something else. Let me get started. So what is this film about? Now it's a little bit crazy. It's fantasy, so literally just forget everything you know about the real world and let me take you on a journey. Now this film very famously, so, this cast is absolutely insane to be fair. Anyway we've got Asa Butterfield, he, this is what, right I'll talk about him in a bit but this is one of my favourite roles for him, again I will talk about it later. He plays this guy, he's called Jake in this version, however in the book he's referred to as Jacob. Slight differences, Jake is the main guy. He um, lives in Florida, so we kind of, the film was kind of marketed and a lot of the images of the film revolve around this children's home and very gothic and strange, mysterious, and we start in Florida, so straight away, very much 
not what we're expecting. That place that they actually filmed in Florida, I think it's the uh, Tampa Bay area, is also the same area or around the same area of where they filmed Edward Scissorhands, which also has that kind of contrasting um, setting going on. Again, I love that film. I have done an episode on that. So if you want to check out my other Tim Burton episodes, I have done Edward Scissorhands, Sleepy Hollow, Alice in Wonderland, this one, uh, maybe or maybe not. I've done another one. I don't know. So you can check out the other episodes where I talk about Tim Burton. But anyway, in this one, we do have that contrasting. I, I love how he's such an auteur and we can kind of see little things that he does and it all kind of matches up. And that's satisfying for me because I've seen a lot of his films. So it makes sense. But anyway back to the story. So he lives in Florida and he's kind of like a nobody, again a classic Asa Burtfield character, um, giving the Johnny Depp vibes that we have in a lot of his other films. So you know he's not cool, he's not necessarily happy in his life and yeah so he's just kind of like a no one. He's, he's not having a good time. Sorry I'm just trying to remember what happens. So <laughs> don't worry I won't get as confused as I did in the Pirates of the Caribbean episodes, that was confusion. Anyway he has his grandfather um, played by Terence Stamp. Again, classic character for him to play. And he tells, told him stories when he was younger of like all these amazing things and these photographs about a children's home and peculiar children and all that weird stuff. He apparently went to this children's home or lived there. So he has kind of like context of this. And as a kid, of course, he believed him and was like, okay, cool, these are amazing stories. I want to go there one day or can you tell me about this? And then as he gets older, he kind of, his his parents were a bit like, you know, that's bullshit, that's not real, you know, saying all this stuff. He made it up, he's ill, you know, he's an old man. He was from Poland, I think. Something about like a Polish ancestry because they had to then move to England and then he moved his children's home in Wales. But I think the whole the whole Poland moving and, and all that sort of kind of stuff does tie into maybe like the war comes into it. So like World War Two, we had the Nazis and we had like persecution of Jews and people who were different, that kind of thing. So I'm guessing that's kind of like the metaphor for it. He moves because of monsters. Now he says monsters, we can kind of see them as maybe say the Nazis, but we can also see them as actual monsters. And of course Jake's character believes him as a kid and kind of looks up to him and all that stuff. Anyway, what happens next in the story is we come back to real life and it's it's modern day. Basically, his grandfather calls him and he's like, oh, I'm really worried or whatever. And he's like, are you okay? Uh, so they turn up to his house. And it's all kind of misty and mysterious. We kind of have a glimpse of maybe a shadow and Samuel L. Jackson, who's the villain. Um, and we're like, oh, what's that? And then his grandfather is attacked and he's basically killed by this weird monster thing that it only seems like Jake can see because the person he's with can't see it either. And his grandfather's eyes have been taken out, which is quite harrowing. So then he's like, oh my God, my grandfather is dead and I have just seen him without his eyes. The attack is labeled as like a dog attack. So nothing to do with monsters or the supernatural. Jake is really annoyed because he's like, this was not a dog that killed my grandfather. Something else did, but I don't know what that is. And he's trying to come to terms with his grief. He has a therapist and he kind of plucks up the courage to be like, you know what, maybe I should just go to Wales and see this uh, children's home and, and then maybe you know, I'll accept that none of these stories are real and I'll be happy that my grandfather is, you know, he's dead and 
I will know this thing about him that was or was not true and I kind of feel closer to him. So he's like, let's go to Wales. So he goes to Wales with his dad, who's played by Chris O'Dowd, and his dad does not care about Jake. He doesn't listen to him. He doesn't kind of like, he's not very supportive of him. He just kind of sees him as odd. We do get that a lot. He is seen as odd a lot, which again ties in. Anyway, so they go to Wales and it's just like this random island. And yeah, his dad wants to look at birds and then he is gonna try and find this children's home. So he does find the children's home and it's really gothic and misty and mysterious and you know just classic Tim Burton. It gives Woman in Black that kind of vibe. He goes and finds this house but it's he goes like through the trees and it's all burnt down like it's dilapidated, it's decayed, it's broken and he's like what? He was expecting it to be like a real thing and then he gets there and it's 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 apparently it got bombed so and it's still there you know in its glory and he's like what but he's curious enough to go and have a look around would i do that maybe not but he did and he's kind of having a look seeing what he can see and then like there's clocks and stuff and there's this whole time thing and the clocks are all stopped at the same time and he's like looking around you know he's he knows the story of the children who live there so i think again it's this kind of imagining of what this place could have been and what this place meant to his grandfather he then kind of like glimpses somebody or like there's there is an energy of people being there and he's like what that's so strange and then he goes to run out and he like gets knocked out and then next minute he's being carried to this place in a different time um with these kids so the big thing is they find out that actually you know, in real lifetime, in modern day, this house is bombed, not there anymore. It's decayed and broken. But they're living in a time slip. In this time slip, they live September 3rd, 1943, over and over again, before the bomb got dropped, so they can stay safe. But also it means they don't age, so they're children forever. Or, well, they are here, children forever. And so then he starts to meet all the people. Now, there's loads of different kids. And will I talk about all the kids? Probably not. Because it's giving the greatest showman, like I've said, the greatest showman, Pirates of the Caribbean with the crew, where the kind of band of people, because there's just so many of them, we don't really get to see through everyone's perspective of course that's impossible we kind of see them as a whole group i do like how their characters kind of get developed throughout this film because it's really hard to do that um and you have like kids who are invisible the kind of the main kids we have emma becomes a love interest and she is one of these like i actually know she's just this person that has to wear these really these lead shoes because she keeps floating away all the time they're really gothic tim burton shoes so you see them and you're like okay yeah i remember this is directed by tim burton you've got so you've got some invisible kids you've got a, a kid who can has bees growing out of him like around him and stuff um you have got like a really strong kid and then you've got some kids who were wearing like these weird um macabre gothic masks and then you've got a kid who has like a monster at the back of her head it's very ridiculous but it's also very kind of like 
macabre and strange so um he kind of meets them all and he knows who they are because he's seen the stories and he's kind of entered into this world where he's like what's going on so i'm gonna wrap this up as much as i can because i'm realizing this is quite a long film anyway so that happens and then Miss Peregrine herself, sorry, played by Eva Green, she looks after them and it's her job. She created this time slip. She's all good with time. So what kind of happens throughout the course of the film is that he's, he comes into this world and then he starts to realise that something isn't right, something is wrong. He kind of tries to, to discover things. There's one kid who has prophetic dreams and kind of like predicts what's going to happen. And we also find out that his grandfather was a kid there and he knew all of them, but then he went off to war and then he had a family and then he moved away and he never saw them again. And I think he would return, I believe, but again, he would be aging and he he would age in the real world when he returned. So then we discover um, that there's something, something awry and the awryness is what killed Jake's grandfather and they are called hollow ghasts. And again, they're incredibly macabre beasts they're very long and we i can't describe to you what they look like but they are creepy and weird and sometimes they don't fit into again this is a big theme they don't fit into their setting they're very strange so these are like really tall things and apparently what happens is there's one type of peculiar child or peculiar person um called an inbreen who are the people who can turn into animals again it's giving harry potter and they are incredibly powerful if you harness their power these scientists wanted to become immortal so the time slips do make you immortal kind of you know you don't age um, but you again you're living that day over and over again and your safety is not your immortality is not confirmed if that makes sense if that time slip is broken you'll be into the real world and we do see what happens is you just be crushed and into dust and that's it they want to harness those people and then want want to become immortal because these inbreeds can do stuff with time and yeah samuel L. jackson plays um dr baron he made this whole thing up with his friends and he was like we're gonna be immortal guys but instead it turned them into these beasts again getting stranger the only thing that kind of makes them human again is by eating peculiars peculiar children's eyes or peculiar people's eyes which is really strange and disturbing but yeah that happens so again they're on a quest to eat as many eyes as they can but they've got to make sure that they can keep everybody safe because again these peculiar people are not exactly the most common people and the time slips are not easy to find so yeah i'm trying to think what else happens now um yes we also have a the bird watcher guy um turns out to be dr baron in disguise he can shapeshift he also shapeshifted as um jake's therapist so he knew everything that was going on which was a little bit creepy we find out that jake himself is a peculiar because he can actually see these weird things which is what killed his grandfather and he saw it and yeah and then it kind of turns into an action movie kind of near the end where they're all kind of like come on let's go and defeat these scientists the experiment is happening in blackpool blackpool tower which is a ra really random setting for it but okay and they go to blackpool the time slip has now ended and they go to kind of hijack this experiment because they have um stolen miss peregrine who is an inbreen 
there you go and they have to try and get her back because then it means they're safe and yeah they defeat the scientists in the end and then jake goes back to florida because by killing the main guy samuel L. jackson um you kind of end everything that he has created or done i don't really know how that works so his grandfather then is actually alive and all those things that happened didn't happen yeah okay maybe that's a little bit dodgy but yeah he goes back he sees his grandfather he lives his life and then he kind of gets to the point where oh my god i'm kind of want to go back to these peculiar people because i really like them and i'm basically in love with one of them and he goes and then the ending is him trying to get back to them because they're in a new time slip living their life um there you go and the bad guys have been defeated so that is the plot now it's a bit crazy to be fair with you and it's very strange but again it's kind of perfect for tim burton to have a stab at it and again i don't know whether this plot is actually what happens in the books i think it's very different so again this is kind of like a movie version of the book so in a movie structure in a save the day kind of way rhymed that's what's going on now I actually don't, I'm not bothered by the plot maybe not making sense at the end. I quite like the structure of this film and only because of the emotional kind of arcs that happen. This is an incredibly emotional film and like a high drama film as well as being kind of like an action film and a fantasy film. I don't know why, I just feel like the emotional stakes of what's happening are enough to keep you watching and i think it's set up because we follow this guy jake who's going through grief and he's highly emotional and irrational at that time we kind of see a psychological element come into play especially at the start and that really sets the emotions up for me to then keep me watching i feel like it has yeah the drama is enough for me because when they're in Blackpool, right, there are some questionable action sequences. Things feel out of place. And again, I'm okay with things feeling out of place because that is the overall mood that this film is about, is about feeling out of place. So I forgive it. It's incredibly alienating and sometimes it makes you think outside of yourself when you're watching it and you're like, what the hell am I watching? But then at the same time, it's like, yeah but that makes sense because we've been so emotionally invested up until this point and now we're just able to sit back and have a rest and then we pick it up again and then it ends and it ends in a good way for us so again i feel like the emotional release in this film is enough to keep you watching because it's quite a long film and the action doesn't really start until until about an hour and a half so it's two and a half hours long and it's set up it, it takes time to be set up. And then when we get to like the hour and a half, hour and 15 minute mark, that's when it's time for us to go, okay, action, let's go and let's end this. And I think that setting up of everything at the beginning was really helpful because that really helped me root for whoever I needed to root for um, at the end of the film. Because again, this film is about community and it's about feeling like you don't belong and contrasting feeling like you do belong and how like kind of weird that feels when in one place you feel like nobody and then in another place you feel like yourself and you can be yourself around certain people and that is what this film is about is a lot of contrasting stuff going on and I think that for me that's done really well um because you get emotion for me I got emotionally invested with it all which really helps 
and you don't always get that everything makes sense and everything is kind of there for a reason which i respect but again people had issues with this plot and i get it but at the same time the emotional payoff was enough and the acting was enough to keep me invested so i was fine with the rest okay it's a strange film i know but that's the whole point it's the whole point what else am i gonna talk about the oh yeah okay so i'll go aesthetic let's talk about aesthetic first let's be vain so for me this aesthetic is confusing i again as you know i'm a sucker for a gothic aesthetic i love it i'm obsessed it is me i am it and i love watching that kind of stuff and tim burton always gives it you in some way shape or form this film however isn't quite like the other films he's done it's a bit more mainstream and it's a bit more normal i'd say in the, in a strange way because this film goes from being normal to then being completely utterly bizarre within one second which again i love the chaos of but for me yeah i think this aesthetic did get a bit confusing so obviously you've got that start which is really stark you know you're in florida what this is not where i thought i'd be right now um isn't this supposed to be a period drama no it's got time travel in it okay so you start in florida and you're a bit like okay whoa it is very much reminiscent of edward scissorhands so if you kind of take that aesthetic and you can go okay so this film is going to be about not belonging or people being in the wrong place so for me that whole florida aesthetic was incredibly it makes you curious but it, it doesn't make you feel safe within this kind of aesthetic of a film you're a bit like why are we what this is a bit strange but again that kind of feeling is effective for the rest of the film and then we kind of have some darker scenes that are a bit more horror-esque i wouldn't say complete horror and you've got some kind of gothic things so we have a lot of mist um again uh, mist and smoke definitely is used for the metaphor of illusion in this film there's a lot of things we don't know and a lot of things we're gonna find out and a lot of things because this is also like a coming of age film a lot of ideas get completely broken down in this film too so i feel like that plays in well and then when we get to wales is finally the point where you can go okay this is looking more like a tim burton film i liked how they tried to make this wales island gothic one thing i didn't love was um i don't know whether they color graded some of the shots so maybe they were filmed in the day but they were made to look like it was duller than it was i don't know what happened there but there was a few shots like that that kind of i don't love and i feel like visually they could have looked better but again i'm sorry i forgive it so we have kind of that dark dankiness against that bright vibrant florida which again is very unsettling and then when we see the house dilapidated it's incredibly gothic and incredibly beautiful and that i respect so we have kind of elements like that and then it kind of takes a weird turn where again we're contrasting the time slip is in the summer we you know it's the end of sept it's the start of september it's still sunny um so we have that season contrast and again it's quite jarring because we're going back in time to this kind of happier place it seems based on the weather and then i like the house the house is really cool and then elements of the children's costumes is also quite gothic jake's character himself he wears quite normal clothes so it's nothing too crazy i mean uh, he wears a lot of navy navy blues and some dark colors which just show how unhappy he is uh, and sometimes these these colors get married in other characters like i really love the fact that he wears like a navy jumper or a lot of navy clothes and then emma who is his kind of like a counterpart um 
who's also they both are grieving the same person but in different ways and I think that that is really interesting to play with but she wears light blue so she wears a kind you know like in Alice in Wonderland she yeah she wears she wears Alice's blue if that makes sense we have those two colors next to each other which again joins them in their grief so I like that um other kind of gothic elements like her her like lead boots I think um very Tim Burton uh, but it is a very confusing aesthetic I will say that it goes from kind of that nostalgic summery kind of old time 1940s aesthetic to gothic and horror very quickly and to be fair they're not two aesthetics I would necessarily put together which I've never really thought about before but yeah they don't fit nicely if that makes sense there's obviously there's this nostalgia of that period of time and the ideas about that period of time which again I think that especially for me as a British person the way we are taught in schools and the way that we are like taught about war and the second world war is in a very nostalgic maybe a like a romanticized way even when it's really not <laughs> but that's kind of the way it's portrayed to us and the fact that we're seeing this aesthetic because this film is obviously set in britain which is kind of weird because we're not used to tim burton necessarily doing that as well but it, it's unsettling because we're seeing this romanticized aesthetic right up against macabre elements and gothic and death which again is what these people were kind of dealing with but we don't ever see it that way because that's not the story we're told so i think it's really interesting how we finally get to see these aesthetics really close together and it is a bit weird because we're not used to seeing them in the same context you know i mean maybe it's different for me for example as it would be to another person the way i've been brought up with this idea of the war i don't know why i'm talking about this you know i've i've done a lot of like even as a kid like i did i've done plays and stuff of set in that time and they were always seen as like a good thing like where i where i live and the the people that i kind of grew up with and, and around and the communities i grew up around they very much were people who romanticized that time period and yeah and maybe they shouldn't have <laughs> or maybe that's just the way of coping i don't know but that was kind of a thing so for me it is quite weird seeing the two aesthetics close by because we have the gothic elements of the kids but we also have that 1940s kind of clothing and costume there's one kid called enoch and he does a really macabre thing where he can give life to inanimate objects including dead people so again that's terrifying <laughs> that's very strange but that's incredibly gothic um his scene he has a little bit where he um kind of shows jake the ropes about what he does to try and scare him and he's got kind of this whole experimental table and stuff and that kind of scene completely reminds me of in sleepy hollow when ichabod is doing the bloody autopsy it's very a very similar scene and yeah so we have that kind of summery beautiful summer house straight into this dark macabre thing um which is is the joy and the beauty of this story is it's incredibly contrasting all the time and then we also have that up against modern aesthetics when we have the character jake so it is quite a confusing they don't go together and i don't think they're supposed to yeah and, and the feelings of being out of place again with aesthetics we have the feelings of being out of place again with jake's character he's american he has a very strong american accent um it is weird seeing asa busfield with an american accent and again that makes sense but these kids have you know the rp accents they're from they have english accents and and then there's him with 
he's American and it's quite jarring again it's you can see the contrast and I think for some people watching that would be like what and it can completely take you out of the story and I totally understand that which I think is why again this film is a bit more controversial there is also this whole idea of time all the way through so obviously we have the time travel but also we see things um dilapidated and decaying and then we see them it's about renewal and it's about death and it's about you know starting transformation and i think that we see that within jake's character how he transforms after his death the death of his grandfather so again i like those kind of attitudes and those kind of ideas that the film explores i'm happy with those for example um it's also done in terms of like plot points a little bit and kind of sets so the tragedy you would say the tragedy quotation marks of the bomb being dropped on the children's home so the people in the real world presume all the kids died etc no one goes back there however it was actually a turning point for them and they use that tragedy they create the time loop also at the end of the film they use the bomb to then blow up the house that has like one of these hollows in so to defeat the monster they blow up the house so it's using that tragedy as salvation and as a good thing that that was supposed to happen if that makes sense and then also <laughs> to get to Blackpool, right? They want a boat, not just any boat. No, no, like a sunken bloody ship that this island is famous for. It's famous for this sunken ship. And they realive this ship and they then take it and use it to go to Blackpool. Again, it's kind of using these tragedy, these tragic things and then turning them into something that can help you. Doesn't matter how dark it is. And then also we have like, the skeletons on the boat are used as fight. It's, it gets crazy. Um, I'm going to talk about the Blackpool fight scene. So there is this Blackpool fight scene and I've never seen a fight scene quite like this ever um, where you've got these skeletons who are, they're going for everybody. They do whatever this Enoch kid tells them to do. So they're going to fight these bad guys. But we're on a, a pier arcade thing at Blackpool and we're in 2016. So they go back into the real world i don't even know how that works okay i'm not even gonna question the plot at this point now it's just really not adding up in my brain okay it doesn't matter but um yeah that we're in 2016 now and these skeletons are fighting these guys in an arcade funfair place and they are fighting whilst having this kind of like rave like funfair music you know the music that is just so random and it plays over and over again it's not like old-fashioned it's like proper 2016 like not clubbing but like <laughs> i don't know like remixes stuff and these skeletons are just fighting to that and it's so bizarre again completely contrasting this 1940s aesthetic we've kind of been getting used to and then all of a sudden it's a very, it's, I think it was supposed to be immersive because the music does kind of match the action and the story. It, it does match it, but it's kind of the wrong choice, which means it feels really out of place. But again, like I've said about it being out of place, is it a helpful thing for us to stand back and watch what's happening? I think in some ways it is because it really is trying to be so immersive that it's not and then you're sitting watching it going what the hell is this it's quite it's almost laughable that's how bizarre it is but again that's a very tim burton thing taking this macabre stuff and turning it into something almost comedic and ridiculous and i think that's very unique to him it does help to kind of step back watch it from 
from a distance because again we've been seeing the world through Jake's eyes we've been going on his psychological journey with him and his journey of grief with him that's quite a depressing thing and for us to then have that break of standing back and looking at everything and going oh actually this is quite ridiculous isn't it is quite humanizing and a little bit like humbling if that makes sense this film isn't necessarily like a it humbles itself okay the same this at this kind of attitude works for samuel L. jackson's character because that is his vibe his vibe is timber and in the fact that he is kind of comedic within his his almost horrific character and that kind of just puts the story on it it makes you look at the story a little bit differently and again this idea of illusion and ideas being broken down it all kind of ties in so i forgive it <laughs> yeah and it's this idea especially at the end when he goes back to his grandfather he i think in some ways we have jake go through this five stages of grief starting where he starts and then ending where he ends i don't know exactly where all the different stages are at but him at the beginning obviously the first stage is like denial and he yeah he's like he's not dead he's he did not die in that way like no i have to go to this children's home you know he's he's very much denying the situation that he's in and he doesn't want to deal with it we get to the end where he gets to meet him again and i don't know whether you can see that as kind of a metaphor for him accepting his death in quotation marks and and the way he can know i've said here knowing someone in a different way after grieving them so he goes through this experience of grieving his grandfather of who he thought he was he learns all this stuff about him and by the end of the film he sees him differently and he does have a different relationship with him because he's alive again but even if he wasn't alive again he'd still have if he was still dead he'd jake would still have this relationship with his grandfather that was different to when he last saw him if that makes sense so yeah this film is about grief at the same time also this film does heavily give right this is a neat reference um for anyone who has seen the film journey to the mysterious island now don't ask why i've seen this film i saw it a long time ago and i've seen it many times because my sister was like obsessed with this film for some reason it has josh hutchinson in it the rock uh vanessa hudgens it's yeah it was a film michael caine's also in it anyway the plot of this film heavily gives that one they are very similar films and if you've seen it then you'll see it but like yeah it the whole grandfather quest not belonging thing a hundred percent is the same thing as that film okay yeah i'll talk about the eyes and then we'll end we'll, we'll i'll talk about the book okay this film is successful in unsettling unsettled in a very unique way so you could be unsettled with like jump scares or really horrific things but again this film is a family film so that would not be wise so um i think they went for unsettling in a very different way this film goes from one note to another note one note to another note all the way through we have some disturbing things but it's kind of not seen as horrific in the way you'd have to change the age rating so it's this really weird feeling that you get um again kind of goes into macabre um where you're kind of unsettled by this film but at the same time there's something comforting about it it's kind of like uncanny um almost it's it's uncanny in p in pg-13 it feels that way like you have this um obviously this nostalgic lovely beautiful children's home up against these um eye-eating um horrific slenderman it's 
very bizarre. Yeah, so then I wanted to talk about the eyes. So they, again, I've talked about this in Coraline because Coraline is all about eyes too. Tim Burton loves a bit of psychological kind of backstory to his stories, stuff like that. Um, Obviously, I went into more depth when I did the Sleepy Hollow episode with Ichabod Crane and even with like Edward Scissorhands there's a lot of like his his characters are tortured with this one the eyes um if you want to bring Freud into the picture which you can because we have a lot of psychological elements in this film eyes again like in Coraline mean the deepest fear of a human which is castration well so Freud believed and again these eyes definitely reference him and this unique kind of fear that is apparent in everybody yeah so eyes can are kind of like a metaphor for castration and the fear of castration when you take away someone's eyes it's kind of like more of a a a childish thing freud can die he's already dead um but anyway so that kind of eye thing plays into that freudian meaning but then also i think as well your eyes people say your eyes are like the gateway to your soul all that kind of thing so it's incredibly demeaning when we're seeing and horrific seeing these people just killed with their eyes you know as if their soul has been taken away from them so that is deeply troubling and not very nice but again it's not necessarily bloody we don't see you know the whole anatomy of the eye crushed or something um it's it's like dark hollow spaces where the eyes should be so again it's like taking away their soul it's making them hollow which again is is disturbing but it's not necessarily gory or visually viscerally horrific it's just disturbing and that is the kind of element the kind of energy of the whole film and what it's trying to create although it creates in quite a chaotic way but that is the vibe yeah and I I will say okay let's go on to the kind of acting now I will say when I first watched this film when I was watching it again at the start I was like what's going on like I didn't love how we entered it and I don't know why that was was it because of the acting was it because of the setting being unsettling I don't know but I gave it a chance and it did get better so for me I think the film actually got better as it went along although a lot of people preferred it the other way around they a lot of the reviews I read were like I really love the start and then they just ruined it at the end whereas for me I didn't love the start but the ending was better for me I don't know let's talk about Asa Busfield so key performances for me in this film I think that this is one of his best roles but hear me out um i'll talk we'll talk about him first so i think he's perfectly cast in this now when i first watched it again i was like i don't love this this is a little bit weird a little bit unsettling um because obviously i'm used to seeing Asa butterfield now on sex education which is a british show he's got his normal accent so it was kind of weird to see him with an american one and i was a bit like oh you know he's so annoying just classic no one likes me guy um which is it it does get boring after a while i will say however he redeemed himself i think that in this film aza busfield is incredibly watchable because sometimes it feels like i don't know i think was he actually starting off as incredibly numb to what had happened to him he was acting very strangely i'd say in the in the first kind of part of the film but when he got to wales and when he got to meet these peculiar children he started acting like a human maybe that is because in terms of his character he's gonna feel safer around these people i don't know but then he kind of turns into a hero at the end and i know it's cliche i know it's redone and it's overdone all the time but i can't get enough of it 
I love the character journey and I actually genuinely felt happy for this guy who just lost his grandfather and was reclaiming his life back and growing up at the same time. I... I didn't hate that. And I think, yeah, he's in, he is very inc- compelling to watch and you can understand, you know, he's worked with people like Miles Scorsese on like Hugo and he's working with Tim Burton. You know, he's actually really good. <laughs> you know, he's one of those actors that you've seen as a kid and he's just kind of grown up on screen and you kind of take him for granted. But I realised in this film that he actually can do a good job. <laughs> Respect. He, he made this film very watchable. I have read kind of details about the book and apparently he's a really unlikable character in the book but I think that great efforts were made in this film I think Jake's character is incredibly likable and I think Asa Butterfield allows us to like him especially when he's such an unlikable character to everybody around him I think you have to give him chat you get you give him time I mean it starts off a little bit weird for me but then as it goes through as he goes through this journey he becomes more watchable which I think is really satisfying and nice. Another person that I think absolutely slayed their role was Ella Purnell as Emma. Now, I don't remember how good she was. Rewatching this, I absolutely love her character. I think she needed more. We needed more from her. I really love... I don't know, she has a gothic look about her, which makes her perfectly kind of fitting into this aesthetic. But there's a humanity to her, but then also not like a... Because we know Tim Burton's done this before with his female... Well, they're not protagonists, are they? They're just side pieces. But he likes to kind of make them not really with a lot of agency and the kind of... The unlikely hero has to save them or make them feel safe. Whereas she kind of doesn't feel like that she felt a bit more like she had a life and she'd been through things like her past her and her past pain for me i felt like that was attached to her character really strongly which of course it would be and it makes total sense that it is and i really like that and i think that out of everybody in the film she her performance was one of the best and she did really well up against asa butterfield and i think she was even better well she was even better than him but I re- she was incredibly pe- compelling to watch and her emotional journey for me um I really liked she was she never made it annoying or a victim she never made herself into a victim was interesting uh, for me and I, I liked that but yeah I, I really liked her character and I think we could have had more from her there you go who else now obviously we have Eva Green as Miss Peregrine which again needs to be one of the most strongest characters in the whole thing because she is the glue that kind of puts everyone together I think as an ensemble they worked really well but like her character was really strong and it it gained strength so when I first again I think this is the whole thing with the film when you first watch it when you first kind of like watch some of the scenes you're just a bit like okay is this it And then you kind of, this emotional like attachment you get or whatever this is gets built up over time and it's the most satisfying thing ever. And by the end, these characters are fully formed. For me, they started off a bit dodgy. And then I got to the end and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I don't know how they did that, but there you go. But Eva Green's character, we needed someone like her to come in to play Miss Peregrine and be this kind of strong character. I don't know whether I loved, loved her portrayal of that character, but I think at some point she did talk really quickly, but I think at the same time, was that on purpose? Was that on purpose? Did she talk quickly? So we were like out of place. We were feeling a little bit taken aback. Maybe because we're seeing the world through Jake's eyes. So maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm, a, I'm saying everything's, everything's on purpose. We have, of course, Judy Dench is in this. She's only in it for a little bit. Her character does die. Spoilers. But yes, Samuel L. Jackson, absolute incredible villain. Of course, every time love him also terence stamp was an absolute classic granddad a granddad with a secret past 
which again perfectly fits him. Rupert Everett is in this too. He's like the weird. He's Samuel L. Jackson in disguise, like a weird bird watcher. Uh, needed more from him to be fair, but a sleigh. And again, like the ensemble of kids, I think did work really well together at the start. I think it's kind of a bit unnerving seeing all these kids who are like really strange all together and we're a bit like what because we are thrown into their world straight away and i think again we're supposed to feel that that's weird because we are with jake he is like what the hell's going on so so are we um but then over time the community and the ensemble work together a bit more and it doesn't feel so weird and unsettling it feels kind of nice but yeah no i, I respect respect okay and then finally i'm gonna talk about the book is written by Ransom Riggs and it incorporates photographs, so images and words, because it's all kind of based on this kind of like, you know when you see an old photograph and it's just kind of weird, because you know that person in that photograph is probably dead right now, but they had a life that was as complex and emotional and crazy as your own life right now, but they're not here anymore and you're looking at their photograph. That's the feeling that this guy wanted to create in his book. And this is kind of the feeling that these photographs, which again, is an idea incorporated into the film, are supposed to make you feel. However, that's kind of a little bit strange because we're not really used to having photographs paired with words in books necessarily. I don't know how close they work together in terms of the story. But yeah, but we see it in a lot of gothic things. Like um, I did the film Others, The Others, A Halloween Time. And again, that has this kind of like photograph theme to it that kind of adds an extra layer in terms of like exposition, uh, but like a picture. So yeah, but again, I had a look on Goodreads, as you do, and a lot of people weren't happy with this book. It was hyped up. Some people loved it, some people hated it. It's one of those books. I don't know how... I, I guess, I suppose, if people like picture books when they were kids and stuff like that, it would be an enjoyable book. But a lot of people criticised his writing. So they called, they didn't really love how he wrote it and they called him amateur. But again, he's pairing things with photographs, so it's a little bit weird and different. And apparently his background was in film. So again, he's going to be telling the story in a, a little bit of a different way. Which is why I think, again, there was a different interpretation of it on screen. Because... Yeah, photographs aren't moving pictures. Okay, I've got a little quote for you. And I think this quote, I've not read the book, but this is a good quote for me. I, 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 don't, I actually don't want to hype it up because it might be really bad. <laughs> but apparently this is a quote from it. And um, it's quite a long passage. And I've talked about this in Sleepy Hollow, for example, in terms of the kind of written description of a place being encapsulated, that atmosphere being encapsulated on the screen. So I'm going to read this little quote here. And this is how this scene, the scene from the film, did very much match this quote for me. Let's go. My grandfather had described it a hundred times, but in his stories, the house was always a bright, happy place. Big and rambling, yes, but full of light and laughter. What stood before me now was no refuge from monsters, but a monster itself staring down from its perch on the hill with a vacant hunger. Trees burst forth from broken windows and skins of scabrous vine gnawing at the walls like antibodies attacking a virus, as if nature itself had waged war against it. But the house seemed unkillable, resolutely upright despite the wrongness of its angles and the jagged teeth of sky visible through sections of collapsed roof. That, I will say, is not the best written passage I've ever read. However, it does encapsulate the energy that the film brought to the house. There is a scene in which Ada Butterfield's character is standing in the dark and he's just staring up 
at this house. Um, it gives very much the same as in Edward Scissorhands. We have that amazing shot that I love of his attic roof um, with the roof kind of broken and jagged. It very much gives that. But yeah, I think that quote does very much encapsulate the film. So if that quote made you want to read the book, then read the book. I've not read it. I don't know how good it is. And then... If that quote made you want to watch the film, then go for it too, if you haven't already seen it. So I think that is all I'm going to talk about today. I've been talking for quite a while, considering this is not necessarily a film I would have chosen to review or talk about. I don't review films, sorry, talk about. This is not necessarily a film I would have talked about if had it had it not been suggested. So thank you for your suggestion. You know who you are. So I hope you liked this episode. I went a little bit deep again. Yes, this film is not necessarily a popular film, not necessarily deemed as Tim Burton's best, but again, I like how he incorporates his elements and the modern world into a kind of mixed up time traveling world that is crazy. It goes on a lovely journey. So thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to it. And don't be afraid to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Movies on My Mind Pod. So that was this week's episode. Will I be back next week? Will it be back? I don't even know. But I should be back soon. <laughs>